isn't that what it's all about? That's what it's all about. Different kinds of stories, different kinds of lives, but all changed by Jesus. And we all need some kind of change in our lives, and Jesus is the only one who can do it all the way. And we all have the opportunity to have a, have a beautiful story, just like some of the beautiful stories that we heard, whether it's like Tim after rejecting Jesus for 20 years and coming back to him, and Jesus is waiting with open arms, or it's a little guy like Levi who's just, he's so early in his life and he's already making more emotionally and spiritually mature decisions than I sometimes do. And, uh, you know, it's just a beautiful thing, right? Because baptism, baptism is a picture we get of the transformation that God does inwardly. Baptism is this symbol, right? It's the symbol of going into the grave and being resurrected out of it. It's our identifying with what Jesus did to adopt us into God's family. It is the adoption ceremony of God. It's where God has already said on the cross, I want to adopt you into my family. And baptism is where we go through the ceremony that says, I want to be adopted by you, God. I'm, I'm not wondering about it. I want to be adopted by you. And so if you haven't been baptized and you've given your life to Jesus, I want you to pray about that. It's, it's not, there's nothing about that water up there that's powerful. You can go dip your finger in it and it's just like a, it's like a hot tub, you know. But there's something powerful about the devotion. Tim used that word devotion to Jesus. There is power in devoting yourselves to the right things and there's nothing better than Jesus to devote yourself to. And so um, anyways, I love that. I could, let's preach about baptism this morning. But um, all that to say, uh, I think the message will lend well because we're going to talk about the good news of Jesus. But before we do, why don't I just say good morning to all of you. Thank you. And good morning to those watching online and traditions across the hall. And our friends down at Ording Valley this morning, I, I um, am so thankful. You know, my heart has been so full this last week after Easter services. You know, we had a record number of people come to worship Jesus and hear the good news this last Sunday um, on our campuses. And you know what? That's a credit to you. That's a credit to the people of God living out authentically living out the good news of Jesus, inviting other people into the good news of Jesus. Keep doing that, because it's not about any one of us being, being so magical. Jesus is the one who is amazing. We just get the privilege of introducing him to people here and there throughout our lives and our communities. And so thank you for doing that. We're gonna continue to do that and make an impact in our community. But the reality is, we need those moments of good news because our world is so full of bad news, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to look very far to hear some bad news. In fact, sometimes I think people come to church, and this isn't a bad idea, just come to church to hear some good news every now and then. Come to church because it might be the only place that, the, that we can actually guarantee the story can end well. Um, everybody else tells you a bad story, and you're not sure how it's going to end, but Jesus guarantees you that the story can end well. And we just live in a broken world. And frankly, we're all broken we just like, if we said, hey, if you're broken, raise your hand, everybody in here has to raise their hand, right? And so you're in good company if you're broken this morning. We're all broken in some way, shape, or form because sin breaks us. When we make selfish or prideful decisions, it does damage to us. It does damage to the people and situations around us. And really what the Bible tells us is that human sin is at the, at the root of everything wrong in this world. It's, it's the source behind it. And you're like, I thought we were going to talk about something good. You said good news. Well, the good news is that it doesn't end with that bad news. And we have to live out that good news in this broken world. We can't ignore, we can't pretend that the world is not broken. 
I think way too often in our culture, you know, American culture is known by other cultures to be triumphalistic, meaning that we have a value in our society of winning, which I resonate with. I really like to win. Anybody else, you like to win at things? I like to win. My family knows that I don't like to play board games, and it's not because of them. It's because of me. It brings out the worst in me. I just, I cannot help but want, I mean, even when I'm playing with my kids and I'm teaching them a game, inside of me there is this voice that says, dominate them. Show them who the boss is at Settlers of Catan. And, and uh, anyways, now my middle school daughter knows how to beat me at that game. It's gotten way less fun, but um, that's another issue that I have to deal with. All that to say, we like to win, and our culture likes to win, but sometimes so much so that we can't admit when we're not winning. We, we have a hard time admitting when we're not doing well, but you have to admit when you're not doing well in order to get well. Have you noticed that? You have to say like, oh man, I've got some issues if I'm going to get well. And so we can't ignore the brokenness of our world. We shouldn't ignore the brokenness inside of us or our relationships or those kinds of things. But here's the beauty of the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus says you can still be broken and you can still live in a broken world and still live a really good life. You can still flourish. You can still live life the way it meant to be only by the good news of Jesus. That is the only way for us to actually be who we were meant to be fully and live life the way we were meant to live it fully. Any other way falls short. It misses the mark, right? And so that brings me to something. As we get into a new sermon series today, I want to start by sharing with you one of Caleb Bryant's life lessons. Are you ready for this? Now, you don't have to apply it. It, might, it's a, it sounds a little bit simplistic, which sometimes I need that for my own life lessons. But this, this came out of a youth series I preached as a youth pastor. And you know what? After I preach it to the youth, I'm like, you know what? That's really good. I need to think about that in my own life a lot more. I need to do that all the time. And so um, here's my life lesson for you today. Are you ready for this? You're going to want to take detailed notes on this life lesson. The, the, this Caleb Bryant life lesson, and it might be the most important life lesson that I have to teach you, is this. The most important thing in life is to keep the most important thing the most important thing. You got that? Can you remember that? The most important thing in life is to keep the most important thing the most important thing. I want you to turn to somebody and say that three times, quickly. That's right. If you're online, say it to your dog. Say it to your cup of coffee. Because the, it really is true, as simplistic as it is, the most important thing in life in a complicated and broken world is to keep the most important thing singular. Don't you love that? One thing that matters more than everything else, if we keep that thing the most important thing, all the other things tend to work out okay. But the unfortunate derivative of that is that if you don't keep that most important thing the most important thing, it's very difficult for all the other things to work out well. And that might sound like, Caleb, you're making life too simple, but this is actually based on some, some things that Jesus said. In fact, he said quite a few things relating to this. One of them, you'll remember, there's a, if you've read through the Gospels, you'll remember there's a story about these two sisters, and one of them is named Martha, and she is like detail-oriented, get it done. She's a D on the disc scale. She is like, she's got it under control, but she's getting frustrated that her, her sister is not paying attention to some of these details. Meanwhile, that sister Mary is really focused on Jesus, and Jesus stops Martha. She's really stressed out, and he stops her, and 
And he says these profound words to her that are recorded in Scripture for all of us. He says, Martha, there is only one thing worth being concerned about. And I just want you to pause and think, how many things are you concerned about this morning? I would be willing to bet that though there might be one dominating thing, there's probably a lot of things that you're concerned about. In fact, one of the most haunting things of life these days is that we never get to be just concerned about one thing. We are assaulted by a barrage of pressures and needs that are calling us to figure them out, to solve these problems, to do these things, to be good enough in all these things, right? And Jesus is saying to Martha, who is feeling some of that in her own life, hey, Martha, it's just one thing. One thing that you really need to be concerned about. And when Jesus says that to you, you can't really argue. You can't, like, there's no debating with Jesus. You're like, Jesus, I know more, but nope, nope. Jesus like, I, I created you, created the world. I was here at the beginning, I'll be here at the end. I know everything in between. One thing. And he summed that up in the Sermon on the Mount we talked about just a few weeks ago. He said to not just one disciple, but to all disciples for all time. He said, seek First, or he said in the New Living Translation, seek the kingdom of God above all else. One thing, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And the kingdom of God is living life God's way through relationship with God. It's living life Jesus' way through relationship with Jesus. And that is the kingdom of God. That's the culture of the kingdom. When we come to know Jesus, we are, we are brought in as citizens of the new kingdom. Right? And many of us have, have taken that identity. But Jesus unashamedly calls us to prioritize him above everything else. Doesn't that sound a little cocky? Sounds a little like Jesus. Come on. You're a little all about yourself. But Jesus, he clearly isn't, because if God wanted to make more of a scene in history, he could make a lot more scenes in history. God could get a lot more attention if all he was about was getting more attention. No, the reason Jesus says these things to us is because he knows the only way for us to live life the way it was meant to be, the only way for us to actually flourish is if we keep God at the center of our lives. He knows that was the way human life was meant to be built. That we were created like a Tesla, this beautiful piece of technology, highly valuable, wonderful. I've been thinking about getting one of those lately because of gas prices, but the only thing more expensive than gas is a Tesla. So, <laughs> but Jesus created you like that. Here's the problem with the Tesla. Eventually, you gotta plug that thing in. And the same thing is true of your life. If you are not plugged into Jesus, eventually you run out of the beauty that makes you who you are. And Jesus knows this. He's not arrogant in telling us to focus on him as the most important thing. He simply knows Apart from doing that, life will miss the mark. It will fall short. And that is really what the letter to the Galatians is all about. In fact, we're going to look into the letter or the book of Galatians. It was written as a letter to a bunch of churches, actually, in a province of the Roman Empire in the early church, the first century, this province of Galatia. There was a number of churches there that had been planted by the Apostle Paul and his partner Barnabas when they had been sent out on their missionary journey from Antioch. And so he planted all these, these churches, and then after his journey was over, 
over. He's likely back in Antioch. He hears some, some unfortunate news. He hears that some things are getting confused. He hears that the, the churches in Galatia are getting led astray by some other teachers and, and influences. And so he writes this letter to them to help them get back on track, to help them put the most important thing back in its rightful place. And, and the, the churches in Galatia were, were basically getting caught up in all these other voices, There were all these other voices that were creating confusion. They wanted to know God. They wanted to walk with God. They wanted to live life to the fullest. And yet there were so many voices telling them, hey, this is how you have to do it. Oh, but don't forget this. Oh, but you have to keep this. And don't mess up this. And they were falling short of what Jesus had intended for them. They were missing the mark. And they were doing the same thing that we often do. They were allowing the most important thing to get lost in the fray of all the seemingly important things. Anybody else here, you have a tendency to do that? You have a a tendency to make smaller, you kind of major on the minors? You know, that is, I mean, when the pressure is on in Caleb Bryant's life, that is not a good tendency in my life. In fact, I'm starting to realize after 15 years of marriage that, that there are some indicators of when I'm doing this. Usually the indicator is that there is friction in my home life caused by me putting pressure on things that are not as big of a deal as I'm making them to be. And a lot of times what that is, you know, it's like, oh man, we gotta, we gotta do this and we gotta do that and, you know, why, what about this and what about that? And I can tell that, you know, my wife is a little bit like, what is going on here? What's wrong with you? And, and why is this a big deal to you? And sometimes she'll ask, like, why is this such a big deal right now? Which is a great question, by the way, that we should ask ourselves. When we are panicked, stressed, anxious, all those negative things come as a result of misprioritizing things in life. It's a great question to ask ourselves, why why is this such a big deal right now? And to put it through the lens of, is it actually a big deal? Sometimes some of the things that I'm most worked up about in my life, I'm embarrassed to admit Like, things like, what am I going to eat for dinner tonight? Ah, it's a big problem to solve. (laughs) Or, you know, here's here's a a haunting reality in my life. I never know what to wear to anything, right? Like, I just hate having to decide what to wear to anything. I thought about trying the Steve Jobs method of just wearing the same thing to everything, but, like, black turtlenecks are not very, they don't look very good on me. So I'm not going with that, but the, 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 The thing is, every time there's some sort of a unique event, like funerals, I never know what to wear to funerals. I'm always like, oh, I'm going to make somebody mad. And do you know what? Sometimes Jeanette's like, why are you so worried about this? It's not your funeral. (laughs) Like, she has to remind me. She's like, nobody cares about you, Caleb. And I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) Right? So we, but in those moments, I'm making something stressful that doesn't need to be stressful. I'm making something complicated that doesn't need to be complicated. And usually because I'm way more focused on myself than I need to be. And that's what was happening to the Galatians. They were getting sidetracked by all these other things saying, oh, you better worry about this. And they were missing out on what Jesus had came to save them for. And so in Galatians, God teaches us how to navigate this broken world by keeping the most important thing the most important thing. That really is the heart of the letter to the Galatians, and we're going to look through that over the next few weeks. And I want to start this morning in Galatians chapter 1. You can turn there if you have a Bible or a Bible app. 
And I would just encourage you, if you haven't thought about this before, get a Bible. If you're a regular churchgoer or you're a regular Bible studier, it is good to have a physical Bible and to be able to underline and circle things and write notes. I was just thinking this morning as I was prepping, I'm like, this is really great that I have these notes in here that I've made about what God has spoken to me out of this. I would just encourage you. That is a great tool if you're serious about being a student of the Word. Let's start in verses 1 and 2. It says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. That's an important word right there. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. Now let's stop right there. Because why does Paul have this introduction It's important to what he's about to say to the people in Galatia because they're hearing all these different voices saying, this is what matters most. And Paul is about to tell them what he thinks matters most. And so what he wants them to know is that he's not speaking to them as just some other human being. He's not just, you know, he's not just another professor, he's not just another YouTuber, he's not just another, he's not just another podcaster that they're listening, they're like, oh, Jesus, you know, Paul brings some good points, we should take that into consideration. He says, no, I'm an apostle. And do you know what being an apostle means? He says, that means that I didn't get sent by any human being, I didn't get picked by any human being, I'm not popular with all these human beings. Do you know who picked me? God picked me. Wow, Paul. God picked me. God sent me. What I say to you is from God, not from men. And do you know that's why the the writings of Scripture are what they are? Because they were unique in that God spoke through certain human beings what God wanted to say to his church. And it was testified, dude, you know, he, he noticed in verse 2, he says, all the brothers and sisters here, join me in sending this letter. One of the things that, that early writings from the apostles had to pass is that all of the mature Christians from all of the churches had to say, yeah, that lines up with what Jesus taught. That is from God. There were tests within the church, and there were a lot more writings that they said, that's not, that might have been good for a moment, that might have been good for a church or good for a person, but that's not God's word to the whole church. And there's great research that goes into how Scripture became Scripture. I would encourage you to look into that. But do you know one of the most convincing things for me of some of these apostolic writings is that across cultures for thousands of years, through generations, different ethnic groups, different backgrounds, the Word of God has proven over and over and over again to be both true and powerful. It's just proven itself. And so Paul is saying, hey, what I'm about to say falls into that category. What I'm about to say is not just another guy giving his opinion. What I'm about to say is actually God speaking to you. And that's a pretty big claim to make, but there were Thousands and thousands and now millions and millions of people that have studied this letter and have said, yeah, wow, God speaks to me through this. And here's what he goes on to say, well, in just a moment, but I want to say that the first step in keeping the most important thing, the most important thing, especially in a broken world, is allowing the authority of God's word to be louder than all the other voices. You know, we don't have an apostle today. 
We don't have, those apostles were first generation, had experienced Jesus personally. Their gift to the church was to speak the word of God to the church. We don't have those, I'm not that, other pastors aren't that. We're people that are commissioned and gifted to teach the word of God, hopefully, or we're just like big phonies with microphones. But you get to decide, by the way. But here's, here's the reality that the apostles were unique. They don't, we, nobody gets to speak with apostolic authority. Nobody gets to add to the Bible. And so we look at the Bible as the authority of truth. And again, it's proven itself to be true. Now the Holy Spirit might speak to you. He wants to speak to you. He might speak to you through someone else. But do you know the test of whether it's the Holy Spirit or not? Does it line up with the Bible? You know the first test of the New Testament was, does it line up with the Old Testament? Did Jesus did Jesus make this the next stage of God's revelation to us or not? And so we now live according to the word of God. And can I tell you, we are in a world that is constantly looking to turn us away from the word of God. We are in a world that's constantly looking to make us question it, make us doubt it, make us add other things to it or subtract things from it. And you'll see how Paul feels about that. And I think it's the way that we're meant to feel about it as well. But we have to allow it to have authority in our lives. That means, you know what that means? It means when I became a Christian as a young adult, I started reading through the Bible. It's a dangerous thing to do to read through the Bible. It is because it wants to change you. And as I read through the Bible, you know, the only thing it takes for the Bible to change you is you having any desire to know God. If you have any desire to know God, the Bible will change you. If you don't have that desire to know God, the Bible will just be kind of a bunch of documents to you. But because I was like, you know, God, I really do want to know you, as I read through Scripture, I was like, ooh, I'm wrong. I'm wrong in this area, in this area, in this area. Oh, but God has this for me and this for me and this for me. And there was this transformational season of about two years where I was just reading through the Bible and it was changing how I lived my life. And we have to allow his authority to do that in our lives. If we don't, Scripture teaches us that we don't actually take Jesus that seriously. And we might say we believe in him, but we don't believe that he is Lord if we don't take his word seriously. Now, what is the heart of what all Scripture teaches? Paul sums it up in these next three verses. He says, starting in verse 3, he says, May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Do you know that's the desire of God for you, is grace and peace? But what did it cost God to give it to you? Verse 4, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Do you know that right there is the good news of Jesus? That is what we call the gospel, which just simply means good news. That is the heart of the biblical message. It's what all the Old Testament was leading to. It's what all the New Testament is explaining. It is at the heart. If you don't understand anything else in the Bible, understand the gospel. Understand this, that God created the world, sin broke the world, and Jesus came to fix the world. Right? That's the gospel. And here's the thing, it's not just for the world as a whole, it's for you. God created you, and sin broke you, your sin and other people, and Jesus came 
to fix you, to heal you, to restore you, to rescue you from this evil world. But do you know, the reality is sin is like a debt that has to be paid. And it's not like our national debt that we can keep ignoring and pretend it doesn't exist. We, as humanity, have a corporate debt that we have contributed to, and somebody had to deal with that debt. Uh, We had to deal with that debt, but God had a plan to deal with that debt for 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 us. Jesus was sent to pay that price, to pay the consequences, to take the just punishment of our selfishness and our pride that we did in the face of what God created us to be, which was good and selfless and humble. Jesus took that punishment on ourselves. So the good news is that Jesus came to fix what's broken. The hard part is that Jesus had to die to fix it. And the only thing that we have to do is receive what he did. We have to say, Jesus, as we talked about last week, I'm going to make the exchange. I'm going to let my broken life be traded for your sinless life. I'm going to let my punishment be traded for your reward. I'm going to let you take my punishment on the cross, and I'm going to take your eternity. And why can we take that? Because Jesus offered it. Because God wants to give it to us. And so what does Paul say? He says this in so many of his letters. He says, grace and peace to you from God. The number one message that God wants us to hear from him is grace and peace to you. He wants grace and peace for us. When he corrects us, challenges us, convicts us, he's leading us towards grace and peace. These two powerful words. Grace simply means that you get incredible favor that you did not deserve. You get blessings that you did not deserve. It's like your boss walking into your office one day and saying, hey, you know what? You've actually been a pretty low-performing employee, but I'm giving you a raise. And along with it, a company car. And you know what? You know, we've been talking about whether we should fire you or not, but we just decided to bless you even more. What can we do for you? Here's an extra week of vacation. That is undeserved favor. It's a bad business strategy. But it's God's strategy because he's not running a business. He wants to lead a family. And grace is a wonderful family strategy. Wonderful family strategy. Grace is a relational word. It means that you get something relationally that you did not deserve. You deserve punishment, consequences, separation. But God's saying, I will pay the price to draw you close to me, to bless you instead of punish you. That's what God wants to give us is grace in the face of our mistakes. And then peace. Peace kind of points back to the Jewish concept of shalom. It was based on the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden was shalom. It was living in harmony with God, with other human beings, and even with creation itself. Shalom is life as it was meant to be. And here's the thing, in this broken world, there's only one way to that kind of peace. It's through Jesus. And it doesn't, cha- it doesn't give you peace by changing the circumstances around you. It gives you peace by knowing the flourishing love of Jesus in the midst of broken circumstances and that your life is moving more and more towards peace and away from brokenness. It means that in the face of suffering, you can still have peace. It means that when everybody else is freaking out, you can be calm because that you know 
who holds your life in his hands. You have given your life to him. He holds your life. And like the ark carried Noah through the flood, Jesus is carrying you through a broken world. And though the waves and the storms outside the ark were threatening, frightening, scary, and the smells inside the ark with all those animals weren't pleasant either, Jesus is carrying you through the storm. And there's going to come a day where you step out into the promised land. And you begin, when you've been in the ark for a while, you get used to the waves outside. You're like, yeah, just another crazy storm. But we're safe in the ark. You get used to the thunder and the lightning. Wow, that's, that's horrible. It sounds awful out there. We're all going to die. Oh, wait. The ark carried us through the last time. And that's what relationship with Jesus does. You become comfortable with the grace and the favor of God so that when you are in trials, you rest in his peace when everybody else is panicked. That's the sign of a mature believer. It takes a little while to get there. It takes riding through a couple storms to get there. But that is the promise of Jesus, that he has grace and peace for you in the midst of a broken world. But we have to do something to to get that, right? And the next key to keeping the most important thing, the most important thing in this broken world, is that you have to build your life around the good news of Jesus, And what do I mean by that? I mean that you have to test everything against the good news of Jesus. When someone makes an identity statement about you, you have to test it against the good news of Jesus. Someone says, you're failing. Okay, that might be true about a certain area of my life, but what does Jesus say about me as a whole? You might fail at something, but because Jesus went to the cross for you, you are not a failure, right? Or someone might say, you're not worth it. And you might not be worth something to them, but Jesus' death on the cross says you are worth it to him, right? And, and the fact that you might wonder, what is my purpose in life? Do I have any meaning? Here's what I can guarantee you, because Jesus went to the cross for you and rose from the, de- rose from the dead for you. He has meaning in your life. He sees meaning in your life. And so we have to build our life around the reality of the good news, that though that God created us, that our sin broke us, and that Jesus came to fix us, and we are in the process of restoration. That's the journey that we're on, and we have to kind of build our life around that. So the blessings, the, the moments where we're on top of the world, we have to recognize, wow, this is grace. This is undeserved favor. This is God's goodness in my life. What am I supposed to do with it? And with the difficult moments, we recognize, God, my only peace is in you. My only peace is in you. And how are we supposed to respond to God? Do we have to earn it? No, we simply respond the way he does. All glory to God forever and ever, amen. We simply express gratitude. God doesn't want us to earn it. We we can't. He earned it for us. We simply express gratitude. That's the response to the good news. Jesus is not like dangling the carrot of like, hey, come and get it. He says, hey, this was free for you. But people that know what they've been given want to live with gratitude. And that's what the response of obedience and worship and trying to live the way God called us to live, that's what that's about. But we have to build our lives around the good news of Jesus. And you'll see how serious uh, the word is about it. Look in verse 6. The Apostle Paul says to the Galatians, and God says at times to us, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news at all. 
You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Here's the thing. God takes the life-saving message of Jesus so seriously, if someone tries to get between the life-saving grace of Jesus and someone else with a lie, that is a sure way to be cursed. It is a sure way to incur wrath from God because God does not want anyone to stand between the good news that Jesus has grace and peace for all people. And the reality is that there is a devil who is always looking to sidetrack us. That's a part of the, real, the spiritual reality that we live in, that there is an enemy of God looking to subvert us from the good news of Jesus, and he looks for willing partners in us to do that. And why is Paul writing with such harsh words to the Galatians? Because there was a group of Christians among them that called Judaizers, and they were former Jews that believed Jesus was the Messiah, but they also believed that you had to be perfectly Jewish for Jesus to be your Messiah. Simply put, they were coming to all of these non-Jewish churches, and they were saying, yeah, 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 we're glad you found Jesus, but unless you do all the Old Testament things, Jesus can't really save you. And one of the biggest issues that they were emphasizing was circumcision, which I'll explain with this detailed graph, right? No, I'm just kidding. That would be weird. The online audience cues in right at that moment. Okay, anyways, where my head goes. Bring it back, Jesus, help me. But here's the thing. One of the big things they were saying is like, you guys aren't gonna get saved. You're not even circumcised. Like Jesus died for people who fulfilled the law, which Paul said, no, Jesus fulfilled the law so that his life on the cross could pay the price for all of us not walking in the level of holiness and perfection that the law calls us to. Jesus fulfilled the law, so we don't have to. Now, are there good morals in it? Are there good principles in it? Yes, but the details of it, setting aside the people of Israel as a holy nation, Jesus fulfilled as the perfect Israelite and then gave himself on the cross and opened the door of God's presence to all people grace and peace. And so these Judaizers were convincing all these churches like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And they were buying into it. And all of a sudden, who's in charge of the church? The Judaizers, because they were the only ones good enough. So everyone's coming, what do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? How can I be good enough? What do I need to do to be good enough? Do you ever feel like that in your life? Have you ever felt, have you ever been in a relationship? Maybe it was the family that you grew up in. You could never meet the expectations of a parent. Maybe it's the marriage that you're in right now. You feel like you could never live up to your spouse's expectations. Maybe it's the job that you're in. You can't keep your boss happy no matter what you do. You know, we live in a world that constantly puts pressure on us to live up to some expectation to be good enough. And if that wasn't enough, a good number of us have voices inside of our own heads saying, you're not good enough. You're not going to be good enough. 
I don't know if this is good enough. And Paul says that voice is not from God. God took care of that on the cross. Every time you hear that voice, that voice is inspired by the devil. Which is why God says it should be cursed. Whoever's carrying that message, cursed. And we live in a world full of pressures, full of things demanding that we would be good enough. And often they promise us the same promise of the good news. They say, if you'll just live up to this, if you'll just do this, if you'll just say this, then you'll experience the life that you want to live. Right? We live in a world full of false good newses. We live in a world that says, man, if you will just be just enough, if you will buy into all of the justice causes, if you will say something on every social media venue, then you will be a good person. I'm not sure that that's covered it so far. I'm not sure if that's made our society a better place. I'm not sure if that's solved the injustices of our day, right? The whole silence is violence statement that's been applied to so many different causes over the last couple years. Can I tell you, sometimes silence is wisdom. Sometimes words are violence, right? But that has been promised like, hey, for you to be good enough, just do this. People are like, ah, I, better, I better post something. What do I post? Oh my gosh. Ah, guys, it's social media. It's not the primary identity of your soul, right? But then what about the, the good news of self-help? Whatever you need, you can do for yourself. Get the right book, go to the right conference, listen to the right person, go to the right church, and it will make all your dreams come true. Except then it doesn't. And it must be your fault because it's a self-help model, right? Or what about the good news of health and wealth? That's one that our culture preaches, but unfortunately, so does the church. The church says if you'll just believe enough, if you'll pray enough, if you'll give enough, then everything in your life will be okay. And that's not the way it works. Those things are based on some truths, right? That praying and generosity are good responses to Jesus that he blesses, but they're not the key to whether God blesses us or leads us through suffering. They're not the key to whether grace or peace are more evident in any season of our life. They're false gospels. They're false. When you hear that, when you hear that, do this so that you will be blessed. Ugh! Unless it's Jesus' word saying, hey, let me lead you in a way that is flourishing. But Jesus never starts with, you have to do this to be good enough. Jesus always starts with, you're already good enough. Son, daughter, let me show you a better way to live. Let me show you a way with actually less demands and pressures on you. Do you know that generosity actually leads you to a life of less pressure? It, do you know that, that prayer actually leads you to a life of less stress? If you're stressed all the time, you need to pray more. Prayer is the number one solution to stress. Because when you're communicating to God your stress, what you're stressed about looks really small in comparison to him. Right? His presence, his peace in the middle of the storm washes over you. Right? So there's good applications, but God is calling you to do those for your flourishing, not so that you can be good enough for him. And so we live with these false messages, the good news of heroic leaders, that if we just get the right leader, everything in our lives will be solved. It doesn't work that way. There's only one great leader, and he already came and died on the cross for you. 
He's waiting to lead you. His spirit is waiting to lead you. His word is there for you. Are you paying attention to the one great leader who came to rescue you and to fix what is broken? Or are we looking for the next human leader that'll solve all of our problems, right? We believe all of these false gospels. For the Galatians, it was, man, maybe if I get circumcised, then God will love me and accept me. What are the pressures you feel in your life? Do you know that there's, you know, there's, I, I wrestle with that kind of stuff all the time. I wrestle with like the, feeling this need to not disappoint people, right? And we all have these different things. I, I was talking to a friend last night about this, that I wrestle with this need to not disappoint people. I think it's something that like firstborns really, if you're a firstborn, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like I even have to talk to my firstborn who is wonderful, about as close to perfect as a human being could be. I have to be like, hey, it's okay to not be perfect all the time. And where does that come from? It comes from the, at times God needs to tell that to me. When I'm like, ah, I, I feel crushed under the pressure to be perfect all the time. And do you know what? When I actually take that stress to Jesus, he's like, Caleb, why are you wasting all your time and energy on that? In fact, one time when I was really struggling with that, I felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of whispered to my heart, you have nothing to prove and nobody to please. And sometimes you need to look yourself in the mirror and say, you have nothing to prove and nobody to please. It's not about anybody else. It's about Jesus and you. And if we're going to keep the most important thing, the most important thing in a broken world, we have to beware of good news imposters. We have to beware of things that promise grace and peace but will not deliver it. We have to be, beware of things that say, if you'll do this, you'll be good enough because Jesus already said you're good enough. Not because you are good enough on your own, but because Jesus values you as good enough. And then Paul sums all of this up where he, he kind of gives us very specific application in verse 10. In, Gal in Galatians 1.10 he says, Obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If, I, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. You know, we should all be able to say that statement. But most of us really struggle in saying that statement authentically. Paul was like, uh, hello, not trying to impress you in case you didn't notice. Because if all I cared about was pleasing you, then I'm not pleasing God. And sometimes you have to do the same thing. Sometimes you have to recognize, like, I can't please my boss but I can please Jesus in the way that I do my job. Sometimes you have to recognize, no matter what you do, your spouse might not ever be satisfied, but Jesus sees what you're doing, and he's satisfied. Sometimes you have to recognize, young people, that your parents don't understand everything you're going through, but Jesus does, and you can please him if you live faithfully for him. We have to understand that we're not living to just meet someone's expectations. Jesus said, you're already good enough for me. Will you walk with me through this world? Will you let me show you what life can be? Will you let me lead you to flourishing? But we have to stop this addiction to approval that we live with. And by the way, there is another percentage of people who already gave up on getting anyone's approval and now they live as like these, these, uh, these, these warriors of like, I will not please anybody. That's not the right, that's not the right approach either, yeah. right? Like being an approval vigilante does not help you. It just separates you from flourishing relationships. But most of us live under some need for someone's approval and Paul is saying there's only one person's approval that really matters and you already have it. There's only one opinion 
that really matters. Stop letting the other ones cloud you. Which brings us to the final, the final thing that we need to do to keep the most important thing the most important thing. In a broken world, Jesus is the most important thing. And Jesus is not an idea or a concept. He is a person unlike any other person you've ever met. He is good. He is powerful. He created you. He went to the cross for you to save you from your sins. And he is calling you to walk with him in a restorative relationship where he shows you what life is really about. And I want to ask you this morning, where is it that you need him to restore you? Where is it that Jesus is leading you to the next step? Have you received the good news of Jesus for yourself? Have you, have you accepted Jesus as your king and as your savior, the one who loves your soul, the one who wants to give you grace and peace? If you haven't, here's the beautiful thing. He's not waiting for you to earn it. He already knows you can't, but he paid the price so that you don't have to. What he does want is your relationship. You can give that to him. You can walk with him as a son or daughter that is imperfect but being led towards flourishing, right? Maybe you've, as we talked about before, maybe you've said you believe in Jesus for years and years but you've never lived a life built on the good news of Jesus, understanding your identity and your purpose in him. Change today, make the changes. And for all of us as Christians, we should come to the word of God every time expecting the Holy Spirit to speak something to us. He's speaking something to you today. It might be not a direct statement from this message. It might be something else that's coming to light through his word. He's speaking something to you today. And so we're gonna close in just a moment with a song. And, and I, what I want you to do is there, there are those response cards again in, your, in the front seat. I want everybody to take one out. Take a response card out. Here's why. Because the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Not because I want to make you or anything like that, but take a response card out. Grab a response card from the seat back in front of you. Find one of those response cards. Grab a pen. Because here's the thing. We need to take steps of faith. We need to ingrain in ourselves that God is speaking to us. Do you know why? Because you're going to walk out of this room and there's going to be pressure waiting for you. There's going to be social pressure. There's going to be social media pressure. There's going to be work pressure. There's going to be family pressure. There's going to be financial pressure. There's going to be all these other things that are saying, you need to do this. But before you face those pressures, you need to respond to Jesus. You need to listen to what he's saying to you. You need to allow him to speak grace and peace into your soul. Is it the grace of salvation this morning? Is it the grace of repentance this morning? Is it the grace of calling you to obey in another area of life? Whatever it is, I want you to use that response card to, to respond to him. And for a couple of you, there's those check boxes that work that you can give your life to Jesus. Or you could, but notice that section down there where you can write something. What is the Holy Spirit calling you to do today? And here's the thing. If you're the leader of your family, I hope that you are responding to Jesus in a practical way today. I don't want to hear you like, oh, my handwriting's bad. I don't need to write to talk to Jesus. No, you don't. But you need to take a step of faith to respond to Jesus. And this is about the simplest one I can think of. Respond to Jesus today. Respond to Jesus today. Respond to him in any way, even if writing, you're writing down Jesus, I'm not so sure about this yet. Respond to Jesus. Give him the honor of a simple conversation, and Jesus will work powerfully in that. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I ask that in these next few moments that you would speak to us. I pray that just like Levi said before his baptism, that he felt a little nudge in his heart. 
and he felt like he was supposed to respond in a specific way. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would give us words to respond to you. And Lord, I pray that you would speak grace and peace over your people right now. I pray, Lord, that if they're feeling pressures that are not from you, that they would feel released from those pressures by your grace. I pray that if they have been living their life according to other promises, false good news, I pray that you would expose those things and that you would bring them to grace and peace in the true good news of Jesus. Help us to respond to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.